Good evening, everyone. Before we get started, I'm out on a business trip, but did bring my microphone and laptop with me. However, the audio may sound a little off, so sorry if that's the case. But anyway, last week we talked about treatments for pain from the ancient era, and today we'll move on to medieval times. As per usual, this is not even remotely comprehensive, but I'll try to illustrate what's going on with a few examples, specifically using the Antidotarium Nicolai to start. Big picture, what happens in the Middle Ages is the further adoption of plants for pain treatments. The Antidotarium Nicolai is basically a compilation of medical recipes, ostensibly made by some guy named some version of Nicolai. It was written at some point around the 1100 1200s at arguably the first European medical school, which was founded in Salerno, Italy. Since the Nicholas in question did not attach a last name, it's unclear who exactly wrote this thing, and it may even be a fake name. But regardless of who wrote it, it is generally considered a very influential text of its time, and likely drew from numerous sources across Europe, Asia, and Africa. The Antidotarium Nicolae was used as a medical textbook across Eurasia for centuries, as evidenced by its translation into Italian, French, Hebrew, Spanish, Arabic, and Middle Dutch, with many of these translations being done multiple times, which is crazy. Don't forget, too, that this is an era before computers or even the printing press, which means if you wanted to translate and copy a book, you had to do it by brain and then by hand, respectively. As late as the 1700s, though, this old book of recipes was still in use. So let's go over some stuff in Nicholas's big book. The exact number of recipes varies from version to version, but is usually around 150, of which about half are meant for treating pain in some form or another. A lot of the ingredients in these recipes are things that we don't really view today as having any medicinal properties, but are potentially at least tasty. Take, say, almonds, which is apparently helpful in preventing headaches and with pains of the womb, and while I do love almonds, I'm fairly confident they do neither of those. Potions made of cabbages can supposedly fight migraines, cramps, and many pains generally, as well as apparently helping to prevent drunkenness from alcohol. Having also consumed a lot of cabbage in my life and consulted the scientific literature, this also seems pretty exaggerated. Carrots, per Nicolaus, can help with aches in the sides, migraines, and also, quote, draw out dead things from the womb, um, whatever that means. Having anything dead in your womb is very concerning, so hopefully that is just a phrase I'm, I'm not understanding correctly. Cherries were listed as helping with asthma, stomach problems, menstruation, kidney stones, cataracts, and headaches. I could go on, but the theme here is that many herbs and ingredients have suspiciously long lists of uses, and also a lot of ingredients are used to treat the same things. Things that are often fairly common problems, and for which the placebo effect is probably somewhat helpful. For example, pain, the topic of our season, is very subjective, and thus fairly effectively treated by a patient thinking they are being treated, even if it's really just a potion of kind of random ingredients. This means that if you give a patient some vegetable juice, but you really convince them that it will help with their pain, it probably will. Then the doctor makes a note of this, and suddenly you have a new pain potion added to the book. The scientific method wasn't really a thing at this point yet, and neither was the placebo effect well understood, and so this kind of less formal experimentation I think would have been enough evidence to convince many doctors of the efficacy of certain drugs and potions. 
Some of these uses, though, were genuinely rooted, if you'll pardon the pun, in actual medical effects. I don't want to make it sound like everything being used at the time was complete nonsense. As we mentioned last episode, ancient peoples had already discovered legitimate treatments for pain like opium and coca, and these were not lost over time. I only mentioned this briefly back in Season 2, Episode 2, but during the medieval era, we still have records of surgeries being done using opium. For example, from one Ibn al-Kuf, an Arabic surgeon who lived in the mid-1200s. We won't focus too much on anesthesia this season because I addressed it pretty much in Season 2, but since I skipped over this bit of history, we can touch on it now. The Arabs in this time period, likely by translating older Greek and Roman texts, were aware of some remedies that we consider to have actual pharmacological effects today, such as the use of opium or cannabis. They also invented the anesthetic sponge, which could be seen as a precursor to modern anesthesia. Basically, they would mix opium and other herbs together, and use a sponge to waft fumes and drip this mixture into the nose of the patient to knock them out before surgery just like was done with ether or nitrous oxide many centuries later. Al-Kuf also mentions oral mixtures of drugs, or even inserting the drugs rectally for absorption. Imagine being the first person to propose that. He also distinguished between drugs which helped relieve pain and drugs which knocked the patient out, which would have different uses, an important distinction because drugs that knock the patient out can also usually kill them. Al-Kuf actually mentions this, stating that the drugs that knock patients out should only be used in, quote, great tasks. That knowledge feels quite modern to me, and honestly, I'm impressed they had it all the way back in the 1200s. But so, there you have it, a few examples that hopefully illustrate medieval pain relief for you. A whole lot of plants and herbs, most of which probably didn't do much outside of getting people to eat their vegetables, but also some legitimate advances in the uses of real treatments for pain. Hopefully you found this interesting, and if so, please leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts, or tell a friend. Thanks also to Jojo Tang for editing, Angie Lee for our cover art, and Muse Open for this music. <laughs>